0: Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of am rays and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of Blockbuster Video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom-and-pop video store killer, the corporate big-choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars, who are in the know, arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, No longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created. A place for me and others to share our memories of what once was. Of the before time. Of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Talkbuster Podcast. Before I get to today's guest, I'm going to do a little bit of quick show housekeeping. Thank you to my $15 or more a month patrons. That's Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrin, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. I'd also like to thank my band, my band, my band new. Hmm, my brand new patrons. That'd be Jesse. Curtis Tensky, Sarah Montgomery and Jordan Barnes. And if you're wondering, Hey, I've never heard of this patent patron thing. What is that? Well, it's patreoncom slash the Chippa. It's a place where you can donate money to me so I can keep making this fun stuff. And unfortunately it's um, become a necessary secondary income for me as health insurance switches, med bills and all kinds of other crazy stuff have piled up. And now, um, This no longer is just my fun hobby, but a means to an end to keep my family afloat and keep making this stuff. So I appreciate um, everything that you guys have done to help contribute. Um, And for an ad read, I'd like to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Engaged Family Gaming. The host of Engaged Family Gaming, Stephen Dutzman, has actually been a guest on this show. Um, And Engaged Family Gaming is just a place where it culminates in podcasts and video logs and live streams from facebook all about games you can play as a family so um anything up to the teen rated video games um board games cons uh, magic the gathering DD, you name it this guy covers it um it's really worth checking out and um he's from connecticut so if you go to the local pax's and everything else you probably will run into him that's how i found him um so with that i'll get to today's guest a returning guest from an episode of shooting the shit good sir introduce yourself
1: uh, hello everyone, I am Jesse Ferguson and I can I just say that when you were giving your intro I thought you were going to say I'd also like to thank my band and I was very impressed
0: Oh no, I was in a band once <laughs> um, for, for like two months and yeah. I absolutely loved it It was everything I ever wanted, in fact I've I've actually always wanted to be in a band Because I yeah. love to sing, I love to sing and I've always There's just something about me being a guy that used to have really bad stage fright and now I have no qualms about getting up in front of a crowd and singing. And um, it just didn't work out. And it's a bummer because, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, we want to just do like cover songs and stuff. So I jumped in there and then they're like, oh, no, we want to write songs. And then the guitarist just decided that he wrote songs better. And so I got booted mm. out. But um, that that would be very cool. But yeah, anyway, go, sorry for that little quick tangent. Go for it. No,
1: no, that's great. Um, what are we what were we talking about?
0: Who you are, sir.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I, am, I am Jesse, and I uh, used to work at not necessarily a Blockbuster, but the uh, close competitor to Blockbuster, which was Hollywood Video. Uh, they had these little attached video game stores called a Game Crazy, and I used to work for them for years and years and years, uh, right around the end of high school and early college.
0: That's crazy. And so a- around here... Um, at least where I'm from, I don't recall Hollywood video ever getting those. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was kind of a new thing to hear about. Um, I had a guest on, um, early on, on the show that told me about it, but I don't know if yours could be described the same way. I don't know if your Hollywood video was made with that section, um, in mind, or if it was like an add on later.
1: Ours was a little bit, um, extra, like we actually were designed, we were a a secondary, um, location where we actually had like they had the hollywood video and then uh they had a little like the the space the the shop next to the hollywood video opened up so they they started renting the same spot and just cut a door in the wall like cut a hole in the wall so we actually had our own store uh but yeah i worked at a whole bunch of them and there were some that were literally just a chain link fence like fenced off area in a little room that was like okay this is the video game store
0: this is where the creeps hang out with their own separate <laughs> entrance those exactly. weirdos
1: yep no exactly. that,
0: that's that's how he said he felt it's like it was weird it was like you were a zoo exhibit mm-hmm. you know what i mean when we're of, like everyone's well you normies out here writing your movies you know you don't have to be in there with them <laughs>
1: when one of the uh one of the hollywood guys the actual you know video folks used to tease the the people on the game crazy side that were in one of the chain linked stores and he used to call it a kennel oh no he'd be like go back to your kennel
0: you should have bought a giant water bottle and hung it on the (laughs) the thing coming in (laughs) we don't get to drink if they don't remember to fill it oh dear oh dear or you could fill it with like red bull or mountain dew or balls yeah. It
1: would have been, it would have been code red back then.
0: Oh, it would have been, that was actually uh, already starting on the, on the check boxes. So yeah. You, so what, what was the time period when you were working there? This would have been
1: from like 97, 98 up through about 2002.
0: Yeah. So that, that was, that was my, I was the 2000 to 2004, my original run. Yeah. Um, and I moved on to management at a different one, but uh Oh man!
1: I was the height of red of uh, Mountain Dew Code Red.
0: I would. I was so excited when Code Red finally came back. I was like my childhood. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. But yeah, no, that was so. We had a Taco Bell right next to us. Okay, okay? so actually, we had because it's it's Massachusetts, so they they usually built the blockbusters near um, other things, right? So Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. it was a blockbuster, and then there was a Burger King and McDonald's and a Taco Bell, (laughs) like right right next (laughs) to it. But we used to have, um, you know, someone would go pick up like 20 quesadillas from Taco Bell and like 10 Mountain Dew Code Red big gulps right over from the Taco Bell and just bring them back and put them out in the back room and go, hey,
1: everybody, it's lunch. We would do the same thing, but for Wednesdays, because ours was in oh. a strip mall. Ours was in like a strip mall, so we had like... We were right at the very end. So it was the Hollywood video. It was the, technically the game crazy, then the Hollywood video, then like a blimpies and four other things. And then a Safeway down at the end. And there was a, a Wendy's in the parking lot. So, yeah, we would do the same thing. We would go get like the four for four dollar meals and be like double yep. stacks for everyone.
0: Our uh, our local Hollywood video is now a five guys.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the one that was—they're—they're they're all gone now. But the—the the one where I, my home store where I used to work is—I uh, think it's a dollar store now. Huh. Like a dollar, like a Dollar Tree.
0: That sounds about right. <laughs> So um, where where are you located? I I know you said this in the last show, but these people haven't heard it. So um, that
1: is that is true. Uh, I currently live in Vancouver, Washington. Um, My back in my Hollywood days, it was in Portland, Oregon. So the location like the, the home location where I worked most of the time was if anybody's in the area, it was on 181st and Halsey. Cool. And uh, I would often go to the like I would ship all over the place. They'd be like, all right, hey, we uh, they're short on the hundred and forty fifth and divisions. You need to go over there or like head out to the 82nd Powell one, which was actually like the first Hollywood video was the one on 82nd Powell. So that was always fun.
0: Huh. So so did you start at Game Crazy or did you start at Hollywood Video and then when they expanded, you kind of moved in there?
1: No, I started at Game Crazy. There I I never worked at a Hollywood video. Like I I never stacked a shelf a day in my life unless I was just helping out one of them.
0: So 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 describe Game Crazy to me. Um it, was it like an E B games or a or yeah, you know, guys, it was e, EB games here? That dates me a game Oh yeah, style. no,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it Electronics was, it was, boutique. Here you go, it was more like a Babbage's. <laughs> oh okay okay <laughs> no but it, it was a lot like your gamestops where you know you we had obviously have all the new stuff we would you know sell new games and video game systems and you know at the time back when memory cards were a thing we would sell memory cards and controller oh, extensions God, you yeah. remember when controllers had cords?
0: Oh, I mean, the majority <laughs> of my gaming was controllers with cords.
1: Yeah, uh, but uh, the, much like GameStop now, the primary business model was in trade-ins, was in used games. So people would come in and they would trade their old games in and we would offer them store credit towards other stuff. And then we would mark the, you know, mark the used game up 700% or whatever and, and sell it for less than you could get a new game for.
0: Right, the the bane of the indie game developer, as mm-hmm. that that is what ruined <laughs> ruined the ability for anything other than AAA A and major title games. Right? Yeah. Thank, yeah. Thankfully, the internet came along. <laughs> well, <right back. laughs> but man, all, like that. like we would not have gotten Untitled Goose Game in two thousand four.
1: Oh God! Right? No. It just wouldn't have happened. It never would have happened. There, there, you you could never make any money on it.
0: Yeah. So um so god you, you were there at a prime time. I mean, I would imagine these stores were busy.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, this was like I think when I, I first started working there right before the Dreamcast came out. Oh. And uh so we, you know, we would go everywhere and we would have, you know, we had Dreamcast all over the place and I'm still like I I didn't buy I never bought a Sony console for years until, like, I don't know, 10 years ago when, just because I was bitter, because I felt like the Sony, like the PlayStation killed my Dreamcast, because I loved the Dreamcast.
0: Yeah, poor Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I had never had, so, so my brother was a, was a Nintendo guy,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: mean, we were, we were a Nintendo household. I had never played, I had never owned a Sega system. Okay. All my friends, all my friends had them, you know, so that's where I got to play them, you know, but um, it just, you know, that, that was a big deal that, that like war. And I, I ended up getting a PlayStation one for Christmas and like, um, it was a while after it had come out. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't the first year or two, mm-hmm. probably about a year after final fantasy seven came out, okay. but that's, that's why I wanted it and right. it 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 was a it, it was tense because he he knew that game was amazing but he's like oh because you know why would you do that and you know w- w- i needed that game but two yes but this is also the guy who called the playstation 2 the greatest console ever made and i think number yeah. 2 may have been the dreamcast you know what i mean <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny or number 3 or something but yeah. i ended up the sega dreamcast was a cognitive thought like I had money now and I'm going out and buying this thing. And (laughs) some of it it was the prime years of gaming for me. So some of my fondest memories are this system. And you could talk to people that are in our age group that never even played a game on it. Like it was that much of a blip on the radar. And yet my happiest gaming memories of my adult life, you know, were were on the Dreamcast. Well, and like the Dreamcast, there, there were so many like
1: revolutionary things that that sega did with that and that some of the game developers did with that that eventually got adopted by other things but like the whole i mean the the modem the dreamcast was the first console that had a modem
0: yeah i used to play um quake 3 um online against people on the pc on dial on mm -hmm, dial up (laughs) i know
1: so (laughs) ridiculous and or like the um like if you think of the first-person shooter console controls that you have right now, where yep. uh, you know where you have like the le- the the one thumbstick is the you know to move you forward and backward and strafe left and right, and then the other cons the other joystick is to look you around. The first game to do that was on the Dreamcast. It was called Slave Zero. Yes, and- it was. And it was, it didn't have like the, it was inverted. It was the opposite sides because you, you'd actually use the, uh, the buttons, the face buttons to do the forward, backwards, strafe, left and right. And then you'd control, you look around with the joystick because there's only one joystick. That's
0: how Quake played as well. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And like, that was the, that was the first time anybody had done that. And that just like, I can't even imagine going back to playing a first person shooter, like the, like, like GoldenEye. Do you remember GoldenEye?
0: With just with just an analog like pad, mm-hmm. right? Oh my god! Yeah, well,
1: yeah. Like you had the the analog to move forward and back, and look left and right, and then you would strafe with the little yellow keys yellow on buttons. the the little yellow buttons on the face side. That was so weird, and you got I, you used know, to it. You did it, but like, I, there's no way I could go back to it now.
0: It's funny because I I hadn't really had this thought um, I- until thinking about it right now, but. So Sony kind of has kept a linear through line through their consoles. And, and, I'm, and I'm happy for them for that. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. once they got even before the Dual Shock, once they came out with their dual analog stick controller, they nailed it. There is yeah. there is no more versatile controller for just controlling games ever created. I mean, the, the Dreamcast, uh, sorry, the uh, Xbox controller is just a poofed out version of that. You know, it, it's, it's the same thing. Um, it's but,
1: iterative improvement.
0: Right, iterative, exactly. But they kind of stuck in one direction. You know, from PlayStation 1 upwards, you know, you can you can tell a Sony console and a Sony game experience when you get it. I'd say that the Dreamcast was the precursor to the Wii. The Dreamcast was really like this idea of, you know, this... Because it was way more... Um, Way more family oriented in the, you know, types of like platformers and stuff they allowed on. And also with the M rated games, it was far less shooter oriented. It, Mm -hmm. it, it it felt more like something. If Nintendo's console of the Dreamcast generation had not been more of a niche thing, like Nintendo's consoles were at the time. I mean, the N64 GameCube are great systems, but they're very niche. The Dreamcast was like, what if Nintendo was developing for everybody? Like, mm-hmm. what if they let everybody in for a year is how the Dreamcast felt. And like you said, with those controller innovations, the, the memory card that worked like a Tamagotchi, yep. you know what I mean, was really cool and really innovative. And, you know, the N64 kind of started that whole memory card thing, you know, between them mm-hmm. and Sony. But the Dreamcast was trying to make it be more about an, a full experience yeah. with the game. Rather than just this is a system that plays video games. And I think like because Sony didn't catch up to that till they got to the PS3. You know, the PS2 was more focused on just being a game console, and their innovation was that it played DVDs. Right. You know, there <laughs> there wasn't really much else to it other than the games library was just perfect, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but the Dreamcast tried so many other weird things, they had weird controller peripherals. They had a hard drive. <laughs> they had um, um, uh, C-Man, which oh is one God, of the strangest C-Man. games ever
1: made. Oh, Wow, and that was one of those, like you said, the, like the Tamagotchi thing, where you you could take your your little Sea Monkey and you could pour it down to the control or to the memory card, and because the memory card had the little screen on it and some buttons, when you were done playing, you could take it out and pop, you know pop it out, and now you had a little Tamagotchi thing, and you could feed it, and you could you know interact with this thing while you were in the car you know on your way to school or to the dentist or wherever and then come home and pop it back in and those changes would populate back out and and affect the the game
0: and it true and and it's amazing how sega always seemed to know that games needed to look good at the forefront right like Mm -hmm. the difference between playstation one and n64 which directly fought against each other was that playstation one was a 32-bit processor but sony learned how to kind of cheat like if you look at games like silent hill the -hmm. reason that game's foggy is (laughs) because of the render distance yeah, is because they wanted the foreground to look as good as they could possibly make it. And the detail in that game for a PS1 game is insane. Mm-hmm. But Nintendo was running all 64 of their bits. And so they would end up having render distance stuff that didn't make sense in the game. Whereas Sony would that use pre-rendered backgrounds to kind of cheat that. You know yeah. what I mean? And mm-hmm. so your, your, your view in like a, a pre-rendered background, like a Resident Evil game, you can just see forever. And in a Final mm-hmm. Fantasy game, you can just see forever. Um, the way Sega kind of played that cheating game was the Dreamcast had two 64-bit processors in it, even though they called it a 128-bit system. Right, right. D three D, right, Right, so you'd get a, like, Marvel versus Capcom 2 on the Dreamcast looked as good as it did in the arcade because they were Mm -hmm. pumping 64 bits just into the 2D sprites. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Nintendo tried to do that, they'd be sharing that processing power with the 3D. So Sega would do things like, yeah, we're going to have the same render distance problem, but as soon as we go to that distance, everything's just going to be a 2D mask. And then the game would look amazing. You know, because it's, um, it's kind of the difference between, say, like, why the Lord of the Rings films look so good, and yet the Hobbit looks less good, even though they had better <laughs> effects? It's because they're using too much of them in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. whereas Lord of the Rings used them sparingly and used practical stuff and models to make sure it felt real. Um, you know, the same could be said with the consoles, and I just I've yet to be as blown away by a console release in my lifetime because, like all the Xboxes, like the difference between Xbox 360 to Xbox One or PS3 to PS4, um, just feels like like they're dialing it in. They're smoothing the edges to me. Yeah, the games run faster. There's more, but the difference between N64 and PlayStation One and the Dreamcast was like someone like removing Mm -hmm. your cataracts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like when I saw um, Sonic Adventure playing the first time, Mm -hmm. like there had never been a, a, a platformer that looked as good as that. Like no, in my sure. eyes, and and when I saw um, Soul Caliber, Soul Caliber, yep. time. <laughs> it's just like you can't, and you go back and play them, and they still look good because mm-hmm. they were optimizing that system. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at like you, you play Metal Gear Solid Four and Metal Gear Solid Two. The, both of those games, again, Metal Gear Solid Four is a much newer game. It's mm-hmm. utilizing much better stuff, but both of those games were optimized to look good. They weren't like just overusing stuff to throw as much at you. And and I like it when a console is developed that way, like a Nintendo with the Wii Mm -hmm. realized we can't touch these other people. So what are we going to do? We're going to make them playable. Our Mm -hmm. games are going to be more intuitive. And Sega seemed to get that with the Dreamcast.
1: Yeah, I feel like Sega Sega has historically been with their consoles about 10 years too soon with just about everything. And, and I really wish that... I wish there were more... They weren't quite so ahead of their time because they could have been so much more successful. Like,
0: oh, the first, I'm, I'm...
1: first console with a hard drive was the Sega Saturn. And yeah. they weren't ready for that yet. You know, and the, the Sega Saturn died because they couldn't get developer support because developers didn't know what to do with this hard drive or how to take advantage of it. And same thing with the the online play you know sega was the first one to do that with the dreamcast with the modem but internet hadn't gotten fast enough to make that a viable experience so it sucked and you know you couldn't play like the nba 2k1 even though you were supposed to be able to it was ostensibly online but the experience was so bad that it didn't work and then five ten years later now every console is online and you can't have you can't ship a console without that
0: And it's a a bummer that Sega always ends up being the rebel that tries something Mm -hmm. new because, like, the reason the PlayStation exists is because Nintendo hired Sony to help them develop a CD-based console that would attach to the Super Nintendo, just like Sega CD. That's Mm why... all of PlayStation 1's first year run games are just sequels to Super Nintendo games. You had Mortal <laughs> Kombat 4, Mortal Kombat 3 or whatever and like yeah. MGA, NBA Jam, like Super Crazy Edition or like whatever. <laughs> and and so you didn't get um you didn't get you know that kind of stuff and Nintendo saw the technology and realized so, um, and they, were, they weren't they were wrong that no this is going to be too h- easy to pirate we're going to go mm-hmm. back to cartridge and left Sony in the dust and Sony developed their own console but it wasn't Sony that got screwed by it because Sony's it was- way that they they handled the copyable games is they just said we're going to let everybody that ever wants to make a goddamn game for this thing make it so no matter what you're still going to have a thousand games to buy even if they're good or bad and mm-hmm. Dreamcast played kind of the the in between of saying well we're going to we're going to have less games than sony or we're not going to be as closed minded as nintendo and we're going to make this new kind of cd technology and unfortunately because that wasn't supported by as many people it was so damn easy to copy and pirate yeah. and they failed mm-hmm. and it's sure. a bummer it's a bummer but it's cool though to see Them so openly be a third-party developer. They haven't gone Mm -hmm. anywhere. Yeah, Um, no, that's that's The the quality of the games isn't as good as it was, but you know, they'll live to tell another day, I guess. But you know, so back.
1: Yeah,
0: no, that's what I was going to say. Let's get back on on topic. (laughs) Sorry, we had a little love letter (laughs) to the Dreamcast for a bit there.
1: I I was actually going to going to have another slight other tangent off of. We were talking about Metal Gear Solid. Um, did, do you know how the if the original Metal Gear ended up being made, or where that the one came on from? Nintendo? Yeah, I do not. So it was another one of the examples of um, of the the technical limitations breeding innovation the way that Silent Hill does. Where you know Silent Hill is so creepy and so atmospheric because they needed that fog to mask the fact that they could only render out twenty feet in front of the character. Um, Metal Gear was the same way. Where the the first one, when they were originally designing it, it was just going to be a generic, you know, shooter like a top-down shooter character. Um, but the original Nintendo couldn't render enough bullets.
0: Hmm. Moving
1: around at the right pace, so they they had to come up with something else, and they decided, okay well, what if we make it a game where you hide and try to move without shooting people and that thus the stealth genre was born
0: that's insane i I didn't know that
1: yeah uh space invaders was actually the same thing um the the space invaders the reason that they go faster and faster and faster as you kill more of them is because they could because the the chip could render them faster it could just draw the screen faster um so it was refreshing quicker so they moved faster and that kind of accidentally stumbled onto it and the designer was like oh this is really cool i'm not gonna fix this bug
0: and and so the ramping up difficulty as you play Mm -hmm. through genre evolved someone someone pointed out a game and i'm gonna forget the name of it on here it's called like Fear of the rain or chance of rain have you risk heard of, of this rain. Yep. Risk, risk of, of rain. rain and and I guess mm-hmm. that works with the same philosophy that the longer you take to complete sections, the harder the difficulty gets yep and that's amazing to me. I love that um that that type of uh I haven't played it yet, but but I love it. so what was it like so i when I started at Blockbuster, the Dreamcast was dying. We still had the games to rent, yeah but it, it was dying. What, what was it like? So you were there like for, for its release, its initial release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how was that? Cause I mean, as a consumer, that was the commercials and everything that was insane. Like they pushed that hard.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was great. You know, when it, it first, when it first launched, there were people lining up. Like it was like, it was like any other console launch, but bigger. Because, as you said, there was this big media push, and there were commercials everywhere, and you could – they actually – they did a really smart thing, at least at the Hollywood, um, where you could rent the system for about a month before we could buy it. So cool. So there were people that were coming in and myself included. I I admit I was one of the people that actually had a like I had it rented like and then I would keep re-renting it when it was expired. So I was renting it the entire month and managed to play through almost all of Sonic Adventure before it even came out. But then, you know, when it came out it was the same thing. Like people were were able to go out and they were to try this and it built up that hype. So they would rent it. They were talking to their friends. Like, this is really, really cool. Check this out. And then that was, you know, building up all this word of mouth. So by the time it actually launched, we were out the door. Like we were, we were pushing them out the door and they were, they were flying.
0: It's cool to think about a store that just decides we're going to fully separate the retail. I I wonder if, I wonder if Blockbuster would have been better suited to have done that with their game retail. Because, Maybe. Be, because that kind of, you know, I, I loved working for Blockbuster and being able to like pre-order games, but we were never mm-hmm. really able to sustain it. Even the yeah. rental was kind of a hard thing to sustain. Mm-hmm. It, it just I, I think it's because the, I mean, rental for something that costs 60 bucks to buy brand new is a lot more of a risk than, you know, a $20 DVD that since Blockbuster probably partially owns your production company, you're really only spending five bucks on, right. you know, but, but I mean, like VHS rental, if you didn't know this, um, it used to be for a VHS tape that the rental copy that the store bought to rent out was like hundred and fifty. It was like a lease. Like you yeah, bought that's what it, I thought. and your rentals paid off the lease, and then it was yours, and then you made profit after that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a different um business model than rental ended up being. Where it was just you know you pay the 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 sticker price, and then you know there's some royalty or something that goes back to the production company for for the entire thing. But then getting to sell it previewed is mm-hmm. how you make all of your your money. But What's crazy is with a game, it's still 60 bucks. (laughs) Like uh, there's no real, there's no real depreciation there. So I, I can't believe like when Metal Gear Solid 2 came out for rental, I mean, you, you, you worked there when that happened. uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we got like a hundred copies of that to rent. (laughs) It was insane.
1: That's considerably more than we got to sell. Yeah.
0: It was insane. Like it just and and again that, that movie that game was great, but it mm-hmm. didn't do the business they wanted it to do because no. you know, like like some more recent films in a Star Wars trilogy, it subverted people's expectations and made yeah. some of them very yeah. angry. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the other big ones you can remember when you were there?
1: Um man, I'm trying to think. It's been it's been a long time now. Uh, big releases, oh, like yeah. you said, you know, the 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 Dreamcast as a whole was huge. Um, the Xbox was in an incredible release and Halo, like we used to organize Halo tournaments um for like in the store where we would have people come in and do that. One of my favorites that we actually did was back to the Dreamcast. We had soul Calibur tournaments, but we also had Crazy Taxi tournaments. Do you remember Crazy uh, Taxi?
0: Do I remember Crazy Taxi? So I, I considered Crazy Taxi like my um Part of my personality for a while. Oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. And we're, the like we found out we went and uh, like figured out how good the collision detection was like the, the hit boxes for those cabs. Turns out they were really, really good. So we would almost always play um, the the redheaded woman as our yep. cab because her cab was just a little bit thinner than everybody else's. Oh, yeah. So you could squeeze into those tight areas more.
0: That game. That it, it's such a simple game. And, and mm-hmm. that, that was the that was the other thing the Dreamcast did. And, and you know, Crazy Taxi is a perfect example. They were taking the arcade experience for the first time, really. And fully just into, it directly in, home. into home. And that game, being able to like retry without having to put quarters in that game offered so much replay value. Mm-hmm and it's a simple game there's nothing to it. it it but so much replay value every every time i run into that um somewhere to play i i have to sit down and play it oh yeah yeah it's fantastic uh, it was a fantastic game and again a game that didn't really port that well to other consoles like they tried mm-hmm. it on the on the ps2 and something just didn't feel the same even though that system could render faster and had a better processor there's something about the way sega's console ran those games so it was like sega,
1: optimized for it what they did like sega uh the dreamcast didn't have as big of an emphasis on like total polygon count and render speed but they pumped all of their research and all of their technology into anti-aliasing
0: yes. so
1: the the games on the dreamcast weren't quite as complex but they were way
0: smoother yeah it, it was it was all about the aesthetics. It was all about the mm-hmm. the, the visual performance of the game. Yeah. I don't and think Sony's like ever casting. been as yeah. I don't think Sony's ever been as interested in that. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but it's, just, it's just, it kind of it kind of bleeds into their films too. But that's mm-hmm, a completely mm-hmm. different story. So what about so, so being connected to a video store, or um, what what um, what are some stories that kind of lean back in because of course, you know, game crazy, uh yeah this show, this this podcast, you know, all <laughs> retail is kind of what I cover on here. You know, it's not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. but but what are what are some things, you know, s- some cool stories that like happened in the store, whether it was related to game crazy or or the video mm-hmm. rental side.
1: Um well I think the this is one of the things that I always enjoyed was the kind of friendly pseudo rivalry between the video side and the game side. And That's just funny. like little things that we would do to um, like to to pick on the other side so- um, on the other the other folks and they would do back to us. I'd mentioned the the one video employee who used to tease the game employees about being in the kennel um, because of the chain link fence. But they would do stuff like deliberately if 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 one person if the person who was closing the night that the video store was doing inventory if there was a particular movie that they didn't like or that annoyed them, like they would put it on while they were doing inventory just to annoy that person. And like, we would do the same thing. Like if we were opening and there was nobody in the store and we were putting, what was that? You're, you're, what buzzing, happened? On. you're, you're buzzing on me. That oh, weird.
0: I did? Yeah. Um, uh, it it's not again. buzzing over here. Huh. Weird. All right. Yeah. It's not right. buzzing over here. I am near I, I I work we'll keep that in. I work near an Air Force, so maybe they're listening in. Maybe I <laughs> could be. Anyway, sorry.
1: No, that's fine. Um but like so you
0: put on annoying stuff.
1: We would put on like um uh what was it? Uh, like Yoshi's Island in the de- in the demo console,
0: oh, no. so, wah, that, wah. so that that
1: theme music, yep, and and like the theme music would come would play, and we would turn it up really loud. See the whole time, you know, we'd be opening everything up, and they'd be trying to do their thing, and it'd be like, and they just like no. start. It, off. <laughs> it was great. Did you ever have? Like, on the rental side, how did you deal with parents and, like, R-rated movies? And, like, were there ever... Did you ever have movie, like, parents... Like, what's the weirdest interaction with that? Because I have a weird interaction with an M-rated game. Um, But did you ever get, like, weird things where a parent would come in and try to, like, rent a movie for their for their kid that the kid clearly shouldn't be playing or shouldn't be watching.
0: Yeah. No. So, so we, we had that almost constantly with grand theft auto. That was, <laughs> that's my, that's that, mine was too. <laughs> that was the one. And it, you know, it would range from, cause cause if a kid came in by themselves, you know, it, it came up on the screen. Blockbuster was a family company. So it came and said, please ID this person, hit yes that you've ID'd them. And we, you know, if they wanted to, they could go in and, you know, see that we rented it to them. And yeah. if the parent complained, you know, so there was, it didn't happen too often, but, you know, you kind of had to go, you really have to come back in here with your parent. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's, and then I would explain to the parent, here's what the game has in it. You don't have to play it that way. Do you know what I mean? But it's in there and allows them to do that. So if that's not something that, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't say, I don't think this is okay for your kid. Because if you said that, oh my God, they'd flip the fuck. Well, who the fuck are you? It's like the complete opposite. Like I I would have people say, well, who are they or you tell me what my kid can or can't watch? And I'm like, oh God, here we go. I'm just letting you know that the ESRB says that they can't. Oh God. <laughs> but, um, you know, but you know, the, we had some employees say some pretty stupid shit <laughs> in, in doing that that got them in trouble. There, there was some guy one time that, you know, uh, a guy had a daughter or a son who was very effeminate and he called him a girl accidentally just, you know, in passing, you know, when, when trying to rent a game, why would a girl want to play this game? And it was Grand Theft Auto. And that guy, oh, that, that guy almost strangled me to death let alone the guy. And I'm like, oh, God, that w-? that guy ended up getting fired over that, actually, rightfully so. I don't, but yeah, I don't But you. it was an offhanded thing. It wasn't like, you know, as soon as it, it was one of those moments where he was like, oh, shit, you, you know, not like he didn't like double down on it. You know what I mean? It was just like I fucked up. <laughs> but um, I no. So, so, what's, so what's your story? Because it was very uncomfortable in front of like a 12-year-old kid. To have to go, yeah, he can he can pick up prostitutes and run them over and steal the money, and mm-hmm. you know, because so. it's it's very easy to like like a game like Half Life, right, mm-hmm. or a game like Halo, which which end up getting you know the teen to M rated. It's a lot easier to kind of go, you know what, guy, yeah, was, there's blood in this game. That's really it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But with Grand Theft Auto, it was such a harder thing because it's like. I know that this kid's probably seen Scarface and Taxi Driver and all these things, and you shouldn't have. But, you know, society has accepted that a little bit more than they have mm-hmm. this video game. And I'm not one to say what you can and can't watch. But, oh, yeah, it was, it was the hardest part of the job, especially yeah. when parents – we had parents come in and complain about teen-rated games that had stuff in them, like Tony Hawk's yeah. Pro Skater, the lyrics in the songs. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, shit. You know, you're right. I didn't even think of that, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's
1: funny that you bring up, uh, language and songs. Cause this, this was actually, this was the weirdest interaction I've ever had with a parent. She, she comes in and she says, uh, I'm looking for a game that my son wanted. Uh, it was called uh, grand theft auto, I think. And we started to go into my whole spiel. Like you said, the, the, okay. Now how old is your son? Uh, he's nine. Okay, Uh, I should let you know before we go any further. This is an M-rated game Uh, That means that it's for mature audiences It's meant for adults There is a lot of questionable content in here and she says is there language? Uh, Well, not really, but there's a lot of gun violence Uh, There's a lot of you know sexual violence and I described like as an example you can you know If you need to regain health, you do that by ordering a prostitute after which you can run them over with your car and take your money back. And she cut me off. She's like, I don't care about any of that. As long as there's no language, it's fine.
0: Right. And I'm just like, "What?
1: okay, $59.99 or sorry, $61.99. No, but it's on sale. Did you ever see that? (laughs) <laughs> we used oh, yeah. To do the stupidest thing we would take, and I don't know where it came from, but it was handed down for management. We would take and we would mark our prices up by $2. So instead of a $49.99 game, we would mark the price up to $51.99 and then put it on sale for
0: $49.99. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we definitely did that. Mm. We definitely did that. So dumb. Hey, how much? What kind of swag have you?
1: Did you get from working at a blockbuster?
0: Oh, swag! So there was a lot. Um, Yeah. So one of the coolest things when we were doing really well is we'd get themed shirts to what we what was the new thing to rent. And what was cool is you know nowadays it'd be a T-shirt. No, it was a full-on like well-made like blockbuster polo. polo. You know, yeah. but like with like my, my favorite one that I still own, it's back in my mom's house, is from um, Ghosts and Goblins 2 Maximus. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. And it's just that. this embroidered, like super nice polo shirt that had the logo to that game on it. It's like, that's, that's awesome. nuts. We had the, the volleyball, the Wilson volleyball from okay. um, Castaway Antenna <laughs> Balls for your yeah. car. That like you got free when you rented Castaway on opening weekend, you oh, know. Awesome. Um, we had Shrek ears. <laughs> um, we had um, three or four large statues that like they did for giveaways in the store. Oh, that, wow. Then they also had like little like keychain versions, and the employees all got one. So like when the mm-hmm. Spider Man movies came out, they had them and they had keychains. We had tons of blockbuster keychains, blockbuster laser pointers, blockbuster golf balls. Well, <laughs> um, every year they picked a movie and it was always like a movie that did really well, but always a family movie because it was blockbuster. Okay. that the whole staff would get as like a Christmas bonus. So, um, one year it was elf. One <laughs> year it was Bruce almighty. Um, one okay. year it was, um, one year it was, oh, I the, the, it, there was something that was a little like harder of a drama movie one year, which was kind of cool. And I don't remember what it was. Um, there was, uh,
1: autumn in New York.
0: Yeah. Autumn in New York. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hey everybody for Christmas this year, you're all getting Schindler's list. That seems insensitive guys. <laughs> no, um, no. Uh, what else? Um, we had a Pokemon snap machine. Nice. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Those were amazing. Um, we had, we sold a strange of a, um, irony is this. We had to sell direct TVs. I don't know if you do this, but Blockbuster sold direct TVs. I'm assuming because direct TV was also owned by Viacom. Right. blockbuster at the time, but it was it, the one of these things is not like the other, right? Like I could see you like trying to make me sell DVD players and popcorn and soda and all this stuff, but Direct TV, yeah, exactly. Hey, you can come here and rent this movie, or you can get them all for free at home and never come back. Yeah. Like you like you know what TV I mean? Right. It just <laughs> seems really weird, but um, the the funny piece of irony is that Blockbuster, the name and the company for the last couple of years it was around, is owned by Dish Network.
1: Oh wow! Okay,
0: what a strange piece of irony, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, when Viacom dropped them, they sold them the Dish Network. That's um, fun. <laughs> so, and Didn't now Paramount
1: start selling, uh, Did they then have to start selling dishes?
0: Right, exactly. And then Paramount, who was owned by Viacom, is now about to be bought by Netflix. Wow. Uh, but so, some more swag. God, there was there was the Shrek ears. When Lord of the Rings came out, we got Lord of the Rings themed name tags. Oh, nice! So, like you know, you'd have like your regular like blockbuster name tag that you'd stick a logo, your, your name on, and um, it'd be like Gollum or Faramir. You know, or Bor- it was it was very cool. Those those are real nice. Um, then there was you know the swag that was left by the um, by the customers. You know, my buddy Tim found um, spent shells in the oh, kids' time. section. Um, <laughs> we've found several, several rolled joints. Um, <laughs> and you get the – so did, did I leave something in the store? No, sir, you did. Okay, so I didn't leave – no, 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 we didn't find anything. All right, all right cool, cool, cool. <laughs> 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 um, sure. no uh, my, my buddy Scott used to wait until I had a really long line on Friday nights and find something because the TV box locked so people couldn't change the channel. And okay. we had it on to, like, show people how it worked. So he would find, like, the most vulgar, insane movie he could and switch it on it and then take the remote in the back room with him and leave. Oh, no. So, like, I had to ring out customers with the porn ordering scene from Clerks playing one time. Um, with Pulp Fiction playing one time. <laughs> um, yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> um, yes. I think I can see your kidneys. We left, <laughs> we left the direct TV on one night after inventory and forgot. And so when we drove by, cause we would get all getting like two cars and I'll go to like a movie at like one in the morning or go to Denny's like or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Like you do. And so we all came back and realized we had left the direct TV on and we had been watching a movie on Cinemax
1: and oh, Cinemax no. is a
0: much different channel at three in the morning and you, oh, and you could see the TV from the parking lot. Oh my God. Imagine driving by a blockbuster at like three in the morning and just, you know, seeing like the bear wench project or something like that. Oh, <laughs> no. oh that's um,
1: amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah we had a, we had a lot of fun what it was I'm, I'm trying to think there was there was some really good video game swag too and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time i know when the advance was it nintendo game Boy advance had a big yep. pokemon release uh uh-huh. so we had like little pokemon like mm-hmm, plush mm-hmm. things that that they had um tons i mean as you know mm-hmm. you end up taking posters my my brother's got like all the lord of the rings standees oh, like yeah. in our basement at home um we had a yoda like statue you could win when i think um attack of the clones came out okay that was that was pretty cool
1: doing the 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 come at me bro pose
0: that's the exactly doing the come at <laughs> me bro pose yep um I don't know. Do Do you remember? There was a couple of rentals very closely um, to nine eleven that got kind of. Um, you had to send them back. Do you remember this?
1: I don't remember re- about rentals, but I know that a lot of video games got dis- delayed.
0: Oh, so tell that. me, tell me, tell me about those before I mention the rentals because these these were interesting.
1: <laughs> uh, well, things like. Um, like Spider-Man 2, the, the, the Spider-Man 2 video game, they had yep. to pull that and take it, you know, take it and rework it a little bit because it was in New York and the Twin Towers were a very prominent feature. And, you know, so they had to you know get rid of that and, and just kind of pretend that that wasn't a thing and rework a couple of missions. Um, I remember one of the, oh, what was the game? It was Smuggler's Run. Did you ever play those? Oh, yeah. So Smuggler's Run 2 is set in, currently it's set in Vietnam. Um, originally it was going to be set in Afghanistan.
0: Oh. And
1: they, like, and that was going to come out, supposed to come out in, like, November. Oh. And uh, so they had to, they delayed it by three or four months, pulled the whole thing, and just completely re- like redesigned all of the levels and, and reskinned everything to make it a jungle instead of a desert um, for that. Because they were like, we don't want to have anything to do with Afghanistan right now.
0: Yeah. Jesus. This is a
1: terrible thing that just happened.
0: Whoa. Yeah. We had, um, I think it was the mummy returns. So a big movie um okay. had to all be sent back because they had the Spider-Man 2 Towers um commercial from Spider-Man oh, 1 on the DVD. Yeah. So we had to box up and send back all of the DVDs of the Mummy Returns. Mm-hmm. So there's ones in circulation out there that weren't that didn't get sent back, right. which is kind of cool. The cover box to The Family Man, a Nicolas Cage movie. Okay. Was basically him standing in front of the two towers, so all of those cover boxes had to get sent back and replaced. Oh, wow! Yeah. Um, God, I feel like there was so many more. Oh, um, this this wasn't when it came out for rental. But did you know? Have you ever seen the movie Open Your Eyes? It's a that far- was
1: the uh, that was the inspiration for Vanilla Sky, right? Yes. Yes. I didn't, so you didn't have, see have, the original.
0: Okay, so you've seen Vanilla Sky. Yeah. So, Vanilla Sky and Open Your Eyes are, are nearly the same film, um, mm-hmm. in fact. And they're both very good. Um, Open Your Eyes has a sequence where um, the character jumps off a building. And that also happens in Vanilla oh, Sky. But okay. Vanilla Sky, it was the World Trade Center. And it also had a scene that they took out where he ran around in the... Um, in the courtyard of the trade center tower, trying to convince himself that no, this is a dream. This is like, Mm -hmm. he's trying to and he's just running around with a gun, shooting people and they're bleeding out and dying all around him. And he's like, but I thought you said this was fake. And he's like trying to prove it. And they cut all of that. And I remember the trailers that had those scenes in them were on blockbuster store play. And we had to, um, Obviously, not the real nasty bits, but you know, just sure, sure. They were, and all of that had to get sent back. Um, it was amazing how everything it seemed, the reaction everything had to that. I, I remember the week after 9 um, 11 happened working in Blockbuster, and that was all we did. We, mm-hmm. we sat in the store, and customers came in, and we just had the news footage on and mm-hmm. just watched. <laughs> People weren't really renting anything
1: yeah didn't didn't swordfish have a scene that had to be cut out with like because i i seem to remember something about like there was originally going to be a scene where a terrorist literally hijacked an airplane and crashed it into a building yep and then that happened yep wow This got heavy. I wasn't expecting a heavy conversation, Chris. No, oh, yeah.
0: So let's let's go back into the happy stuff. Although that was that was terrible. And we're currently in war in the Middle East again, right now. So mm-hmm. let's let's go back to happier things before before we get bleak. Uh, um so so yeah, more more cool memories. So did you guys so you guys had your little like spats between you, but did were like was everybody like friends outside? Did you guys do anything oh, yeah. outside the store?
1: Um I don't a couple of times, like I made I made good friends with a couple of the of the rental folks and quite a few of the video game folks. And we would hang out after, uh, you know, outside extracurricular things. Um, nothing big. It was just like, you know, going over to you know somebody's house like, hey, we just got a screening of this particular movie. You should come over and watch yeah. it. Or we would do the same thing with video games like we've got, you know, we're, this game's going on sale tomorrow. Um, you know, I bought my copy a day early. Do you want to You know, you want to come check it out? Uh, that kind of stuff was mostly what we would do or like we would go see movies together. I remember I went and the first time I saw, uh, I think it was Re- Revenge of the Sith was with a big group of, of Hollywood video guys. Yeah. And that was fun. We tried to, I remember, I think we tried to start a, uh, like a, a, a movie review website that didn't go anywhere because we were teenagers who didn't know what the fuck we were doing and couldn't be bothered to, you know, have any work ethic. Of course. That was a fun thing to start. I drew a whole bunch of like, I drew all of the characters at like all of the, the reviewers as like, you know, cartoon characters.
0: Oh, that must've been awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, Yeah, no, that was, that was a good thing. We used to, uh, like the the video guys would come over to us and give us like they would have requests for us for like trades where because there were some game like there were some games and systems that we couldn't accept. like we couldn't take in trade or were so common or so old that they just weren't worth much. and you know we would often have to turn people away. like we like our our policy was we would work, we would go one system. One generation back right so you know for you know the the ps2 we would when the ps2 era we would sell playstation you know we would trade in and sell playstation 2 and playstation 1 games um you know but we wouldn't take like at that point it was like the n64 so we wouldn't take like the original nintendo games and you know when the ps3 came out we wouldn't take ps1 games anymore or things like this game is, like, my trade-in credit on this is, like, 12 cents. <laughs> so worth it. So we would really go and, and they would give us lists. And they would, like, throw us some cash. And somebody would come in with, say, Intelligent Cube on the PlayStation that's oh. worth a dollar. And, uh, and they'd be like, it's only worth a dollar? Fuck that. And they'd be like, hey, meet me outside in five minutes. And, and, you know, you'd walk out there so they'd they'd go outside and you'd walk out and be like, I can't do this on the store grounds, but I'll give you 10 bucks for it. And, you know, so you would do that and you would get like cheap stuff. I got I got a whole bunch of classic retro video game consoles for like five and ten dollars a piece. Wow. So like at one point I had every console from the you know original nintendo to the sega master system all the way up to like the atari jaguar that i had the prepared. jaguar i had a i had a jaguar yes <laughs> with that weird fucking controller that had like an entire number key like number pad on it
0: do you remember atari's um uh, portable system the lynx yes yes I do and and how like it could be flipped upside down and played either way and like the controller was mm-hmm. different that thing was right. weird man <laughs> do
1: you remember the do you remember the game gear oh yeah <laughs>
0: oh yeah game gear the um the 15 minute battery life behemoth
1: yep the like the i would you okay here's a philosophical question would you consider the game gear To be the spiritual grandfather of the Nintendo Switch.
0: Oh, man.
1: Because it was trying to do the same thing. It really was. You know, it was, we've got the, you've got your Sega Genesis that's connected to your television and you can play games with a controller, but we want to be able to take that experience and make it portable. So we built a portable console console that will take Sega Genesis games. And so now you can take that same game and play it on the go.
0: Yeah. I mean it in, in, in a weird way, it is the spiritual successor to the switch. I think that Nintendo since the super Nintendo, um, I'd, I'd say it's a weird, it's a weird kind of like um, duality, to it, because mm-hmm. the game, the Game Gear is for sure the um, grandfather of Nintendo's attempts to move the Game Boy past the very like, you know, because they what they packaged with the original Game Boy was an alternative to their consoles rather than the console experience mm-hmm. on the go, and right. that I mean to this day Nintendo still has made more money. Off of their Game Boy consoles than they have off of any actual console they've made. Yep. Which yep. is crazy when you think about like how well their consoles usually do. Like that, that's insane. Um, mostly because of Pokemon, but <laughs> we don't even really yeah. have to get into that. But um, you're right, the Game Gear was trying to take it to a different level. But I think the Game Gear drove Nintendo to keep experimenting with yeah. that experience because they they had, okay, we had. You know, Game Boy Color, which is a direct answer to the Game Gear. Mm -hmm. And then the Super Nintendo Game Boy cartridge, which allowed you to play Game Boy games on your home console. And then they had this idea with the N64 Super Game Boy. Super Game Boy, right? Then they had this idea that the Game Boy Advance is going to become a controller for, I think it was the GameCube?
1: It was for the GameCube, yeah. You can buy a
0: link cable. and your games could talk to, like your Pokemon game could talk to the console. Nintendo was always inching towards it. It's mm. a damn shame that the Wii U didn't. Wasn't just the Switch, yeah. right? I I love the Wii U, and it has some of my favorite games I've played. But it, it's kind of like the. This is what would have happened if Nintendo had actually made their Super Nintendo PlayStation thing. It yeah. just feels too much like an upgrade and not a new yeah. console. And it's a bummer that they just didn't wait one more iteration because the Switch could be the most brilliant thing they've ever made. Mm. Yeah. You know? I, you know?
1: <laughs> I, I realized that I just lost a little bit of, of nerd cred because I was mistaken. the The Game Gear is not the system I was thinking of. The Game Gear was just like a Game Boy. I was thinking of the Sega Nomad. Do you remember right. that
0: one? I know, and, and so I was going to question you on it, but the conversation went in the right direction yep. anyway. But yeah, so, yep. so the Game Gear, the Game Gear, though, was the grandfather of the Nomad. And yeah. and Sega, like you said, Sega's always just, I mean, Sega was a goddamn 25 years behind on the on the Nomad, right? Like that, mm-hmm. they just didn't have the power. The, the, if If the Nomad had been made... Five years later, yeah, it probably, it didn't have to wait to be the Switch, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. portable battery technology just wasn't there. Nope. And it was a brilliant idea. It's a damn shame. I'm surprised someone hasn't come out with I mean, I know that there's like retro and retron type people that do this, but I'm surprised someone hasn't come out with, like if Atari came back into the game, they weren't just like, guess what? Portable Atari 2600. your old cartridges just fucking plug into it. Have fun. <laughs> y- you know, you know what I mean? Did you know? Yeah. This was funny. Um, I don't know if they ever pulled the trigger on it, but I know that people have downloaded the code for the games and done it. But do you remember homestarrunner.com? I do. So do you remember the fake video game company, Videlectrics, that made like their their online flash games? Okay. Did you remember this?
1: I I don't remember that, but I believe you.
0: So one of the through lines in Homestar Runner was that Strong Bad played, you know, like old like point and click adventure strategies and like pen and paper games. And so when they when they would mention one, they'd make like a game you could actually play and download. Well, VidElectrics started making those games. And you could buy them, and I don't know if it started as a joke and someone actually ended up doing it, but one of the options instead of downloading it was to buy it on an Atari twenty six hundred cartridge. Oh wow! That would actually play in the system, <laughs> and that that would just would have been so brilliant. That's um, amazing. I actually had a, a guy on this show the other night, um, just you know, because it'll be you know a week or two before this one, but just to mention to you, have you heard of? Um, nostalgia video. It's like a Uh, video, a YouTube video that's been flying around for like the last couple months. A guy, a guy, a guy took his old VHS collection and displayed it like it was in a blockbuster. So he turned his basement into a video store. I did see that. Yeah. And, and I had him on the show, um, which was really cool. And one of the things he does that I think is just, I think is just brilliant is he makes you know he gets the rights to like use the cover art and everything but mm-hmm, he makes mm-hmm. like like super high quality VHS boxes and gets old VHS tapes and puts and makes an actual label for them of new movies like oh, really? that wouldn't be released on VHS you oh. buy them and they come blank and then they come with instructions for how to transfer the copy you already own onto it so you can like sure. have Krampus on VHS like how cool would that be?
1: <laughs> oh wow! <laughs>
0: he says they sell I'm... great. Like people love it.
1: That's amazing. I love it. But, I love it.
0: But yeah. Oh man. I want. I want. Hey, do you have a switch? Oh yeah. It, it, it's 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 so wild um, to because like the NES and SNES classic. There's something great about those, right? Sure. And and I and I have an SNES classic, but that switch online thing where you can just log in and like i'm gonna play super metroid now and i don't Mm -hmm. know why it's so friggin satisfying (laughs) (laughs) but it but it really is
1: i'm gonna save wherever the fuck i want oh yeah (laughs) yeah i went through i went deep on uh the original ninja gaiden when that first came out when the like the first nintendo online
0: ninja gaiden is so good so good
1: but so hard So
0: hard. That game's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. That game is mean.
1: Brings back memories of just, like, swapping, like, throwing the controller back and forth between, you know, between me and my friend trying to, like, beat this one boss or this one particular level and be like, where the fuck did that
0: come from? Yeah, always. You jump onto the next screen and there's always something there to kill you.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Unlike games like Rygar, where you can just run backwards on the screen and then it erases the enemies, so you don't have to fight them. <laughs> nice. I loved that glitch. You ever play Rygar? Uh huh. Such an obscure game, and it actually had a PlayStation Two um, revitalization. They made a 3D version of it, and Did it's they like keep the bug? no, they didn't keep the bug, <laughs> but um, but it was cool because it was kind of like um, the game they ended up making was very similar to. Um, God of War, okay. Where the the original game's a side scroller, so but (laughs) then the game they made and it was it was cool, like kind of like a precursor to that, Um, and it it had some vibes of like um, Ico and uh, Shadow of the Colossus as well.
1: Oh, nice. Okay,
0: which I love those games.
1: Oh yeah, so good.
0: I I miss. um, I miss same thing with like you know movie trailers can end up being so much different than the movie they end up making. Because of how long mm-hmm. development takes. I yeah. miss video game um, demo discs. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, those were fun.
0: You know, where, like, you'd get... Because Iko, the main character in that game, looked very different in the early playable demos. Like, the colors mm-hmm. of his clothes were different.
1: And, like, Did having those have, old... I don't think he even had horns in the demo. No,
0: no, he didn't. And I, I miss that kind of stuff. That was there's something about physical media and the inability to patch all the time. Hell, mm-hmm. they even patch movies now? I'm looking at you. No fucking cats. <laughs>
1: Leave it in there. Own your mistakes.
0: Yeah, own, own the fact that Judy Dench still has her human hands. <laughs>
1: fucking Tom Hooper.
0: It's so funny that Tom Hooper. Um, Tom Hooper's won Academy Awards. You know, the guy has made good movies yeah. before. And...
1: I kind of feel like he just sort of stumbled into it. I don't know if he had much to do with that.
0: Well, his his tweet the day of the critic screening of Cats cracked me up. I don't know if you saw it. I did But he he tweeted at like 2 in the afternoon, which was like 3 hours before the Cats screening, which was happening at the same time of Rise of Skywalker, and just said, mm-hmm. the movie kind of disappeared from my control about a month or two ago. By the production company He said I got to see the final cut Of my film at 2pm today So take that as you will
1: Kind <laughs> <Nice. laughs> of so like
0: Oh shit <laughs> it It's amazing wonder. Like they haven't Even like No one who had anything To do with that movie is supporting it At all mm-hmm. Like was it the, the late night host guy James Corden is that who he is yeah.
1: Uh, it's basically like,
0: yeah, this was a this was a mistake. <laughs> it's kind of like, wait a minute, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. And it makes you wonder like if if what we get is after the studio took it away and like tried to salvage it. What did what was it before? Oh yeah. Hashtag release the hooper cut.
0: Oh god. <laughs> And it'd be like releasing the um, the director of uh, American History X's original cut of the film, which I, I hear the only reason that movie is even watchable, and it's a great movie, but I hear the only reason it's watchable is because the producers went, you're insane, and took the movie away from him. <laughs> this is the guy, the guy who made that movie took out an ad in Variety before he, before he got the job saying he will make this film American History X and it will be the greatest film ever made. Like, he's just out of wow. his mind. Yeah. Brass wow. balls. <laughs> Simi- similar situations that have happened like that was um Jason Siegel's Muppet movie, okay. which, which, which I really like. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he pitched that to Disney um, with a script that was just called the greatest Muppet film of all time. And that's how he, he's like, he's like, I'm serious, this is what it is. Nice. <laughs> like, just just walked in with like brass balls. Like, here's what I've done. Mm-hmm. I've made the greatest Muppet movie of all time. And um, I, I guess the pitch was the Man or a Muppet song. And they okay. kind of went, Oh yeah, this very well could be the best Muppet movie that's, ever made. Okay, you're on I mean, to something a, here. It's a great song. It is written by the flight of the Concords, guys.
1: Somehow I'm not surprised
0: all the songs in both of those Muppet films were nice. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So your, your big one you remember was revenge of the Sith. Mine was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Okay. Um, our, uh, one of our, our assistant store managers saw it at comic con with Kevin Smith and Jay Muse in the crowd and came back and said, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're going on opening night. And and we all went and awesome. We're, we saw it about nine times. <laughs> um, we were the only ones, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But
1: I, uh, think, we, I think I might have seen that in theaters. I, don't, I uh, don't remember.
0: It was such an experience to see that with a regular crowd <laughs> that didn't know what they were expecting. No, like no one got it. It's just a great big in joke, and no <laughs> one got it. And um, I missed his road show for the new one. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, my copy is in the mail. I think it comes <laughs> later this month, so I'm gonna nice. get those same people I saw it with that opening night together, and we're all gonna watch it because none of us have seen it yet.
1: Oh, that's great!
0: Who knows if it's any good? I don't care. It's Kevin Smith. I love the guy Peter to death.
1: Frost. yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. He had a weird like. I've I've just been I just started watching Veronica Mars for the first time. Oh. Yeah, I, I'd never seen it, so I'm I'm I just finished season two like last night, but uh, I was a little bit surprised because like, ev- everybody's in that fucking show. Yes, like, like everybody. Like I'm walking through, and it's like I mean, you're just watching this thing, and obviously you've got you know Kristen Bell and. um you know, for, for as the main, but then you've got like Tessa Thompson's a regular in the second season and yep. like Alona, Alona tall is in there and be like, Oh, Hey, that's Aaron Paul. Oh, Hey, that's Kevin Smith. Oh my God. That's Kristen Ritter. And just, I mean, it's a great show. Really nuts. But like, yeah, it was like, it It seems like anybody, everybody who is anybody of like our generation was on that show at one point. Oh, hey, it's the dude from New Girl. It's Dwight.
0: Oh, I love New Girl. <laughs> New Girl was so bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you ever seen the Prince episode of New Girl? I don't know. There's an episode where they, they crash a party at Prince's house.
1: Oh, wow. And, and, it's, and, it's, it's, actually,
0: and, and it's actually Prince. And. <laughs> He, it, you know how like Prince, and again, you know, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome guy. It's a very strange gentleman, but awesome guy. <laughs> Prince, Prince never seemed in public to, Prince was Prince. I mean, it, it, you know, like any one named, you know, singer or actor sure. or anything, but Prince was never, never seemed to be in on Prince's joke. Do you know what I mean? Like Prince seemed yeah. to take Prince very seriously, you know. Absolutely. And this episode of New Girl is perfect because he's one hundred percent playing it winky and fourth wall breaky, wow. and and it's awesome. Like they do up. I don't know if they actually filmed this at Prince's house, but mm-hmm. like th- they do amazing things where like someone gets locked in a closet at one point, and a candle lights up, and Prince is standing there. And he's like, <laughs> just just, just let it happen. And, like, just let what happen, and then the candle goes out, and then the light turns on, and Prince is gone, and there's no explanation. <laughs> You're just kind of like, what is happening here? <laughs> and it, it was just so wonderful to oh, see fantastic. him kind of... Uh, it, it was great. Uh, the, Kevin Smith has some great stories about Prince, actually, that... um. Mm-hmm. It, it, just find them. Look them up if you haven't. But Farewell. I guess Prin- Prince hired him to make a documentary about him. Okay. Like just follow him around. And so he did. And it was, he said it basically just broke down to me hanging out at Prince's house while he did stuff. <laughs> like the, And he goes, and I, you know, I, the guy was paying me, so I didn't question it. He goes, and then I, I, I took all the footage and we screened it. And, you know, we were going to talk about me editing into something. And he said, this is absolutely wonderful and brilliant paid me, and then took all the footage and locked it away and told me never to speak of it again. (laughs) He's like, I got paid. I'm assuming Prince liked the footage. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) Did you know, speaking of weird things like that, that Im Jong Il kidnapped Toho the people that make the Godzilla films.
1: I did not know that.
0: So Tell I, don't me know more. Was, I don't know if it was all of them, but <laughs> he kidnapped some of them. And like, you know, this wasn't like a kidnapped and people knew, like kidnapped. None of their families or anyone knew what ha- what was going to happen to them if they were dead, why they were kidnapped. They came out the other end and everyone was like, oh, we're good. You know what happened? And they go, no, 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 no. It's cool. Like, what do you mean? It's cool. He goes, he wanted us to make him a Godzilla movie. <laughs> you know, excuse me yeah, yeah yeah he 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 paid for everything he had our sets and our costumes and stuff shipped in and we made him a godzilla film and you know we had every we'd had all the all the food and anything we could ever want and he treated us great and we made him a film just for him and then he let us go free wow
1: <laughs> i don't Oh, my God.
0: So, so Kim Jong-il is, h- among other things, is a very, very strange nerd. Apparently yeah. is what it really yeah. comes
1: down to. Or was, should I say. Was, yeah.
0: Ay, yay! <sighs> Yikes. So, so so what else we got? So, since we last talked, what's been going on with you? Oh, not too much.
1: Uh, just getting ready for the convention I'm at right now. I guess this is a good time to, to bring that yeah. in. Uh, I am in Bellevue, Washington for OrcaCon, which is a really great tabletop gaming convention that is uh, all, like, the central um, focus is obviously tabletop games, but also um, with a primary focus on inclusivity and safety and, um, and... being basically like an all are welcome, you know, safe place for everybody. So we have like, you know, it's, it's gaming, but like a lot of, almost all of our, the guests of honor are uh, people of color and women and folks on the LGBT spectrum. And um or like in, in that group we have, You know, we moderate which games are allowed to be played. So, you know, things that are, you know, highly, highly uh, controversial or, you know, things that are seem like they're meant to be not necessarily things that you should play out in public around other people. You know, we don't let you play in here. Um, things that and, things that
0: could be played very toxically if played yeah, the wrong way, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: things like you know, Cards Against Humanity is is fine. It's a great game to play in your living room. It's not oh, a great course. game to be played cool. out, you know, at a convention. You know, Cards so. Against
0: Humanity is is a perfect example of it. It's the kind of game that needs to be catered and censored and sensitized to the group mm-hmm. of people you're playing it with. Yeah, like exactly. we, we every time we get a pack for cards against humanity, we go through it and and remove a large portion of the cards because we're you just like to. we we have too many people in our close circle of friends that this there's no humor here for mm-hmm. someone that that for someone I bet that's very funny. There's no humor here, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah, right. played played in a large group. There's no way for that not to come off um, triggery or it's going or to
1: it's going to it's going to upset somebody. Yeah,
0: of course yeah. it is.
1: And yeah, so we have, you know, we're very careful about that sort of thing. A lot of the panels are, uh, are about, you know, like inclusivity and, um, and how to bring more a more diverse group into the tabletop sphere. And like what it's like, you know, designing, you know, in the, and we have like game designers and game publishers and things um, that are, again, a lot of women, a lot of people of color. To, you know, bring that perspective, Um, a lot of uh, indigenous folks to try to, like, bring people in and and get that perspective so that this isn't just to to try to move in and and get rid of some of the toxicity that's in the tabletop space. And Um, and an old boy is there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's one of the things that we're fighting against, Um, you know, so we have, you know, we're doing everything that we can to be as diverse and inclusive as possible. And it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's my favorite convention of the year.
0: Wow. And is it always in Washington?
1: Yeah, it's in. Yeah, it's in. It's in Bellevue. It was in Everett for the first two years. This is the it's it's fifth year and we've been in. Wow. In Bellevue for the most the last three.
0: I would assume they have a website or like.
1: Absolutely yes, it's orcacon dot org.
0: Cool, and can you send that to this chat too after, so I can attach I it to this when I post it? Because, you know, as you said, this is one all for me to get myself out there. I have people on so they can get themselves out there and mm-hmm. just talk to a cool person like me. Yeah, and three, I would have never have heard of that, and that's yeah. so so up my alley. <laughs> you you, well, don't you should come count. out. Oh, you be come out next year. <laughs> Told you, my first con ever in my life was Arisia, um, just two years ago, which is the Boston um Sci-Fi and Arts convention, oh, cool. and that was amazing. And I went because my brother was on a panel there, okay. and um, and I was like, "Oh, I've never done anything like this. Might as well go, knowing somebody that I can, you know." And and it blew me away. So I went to PAX East, and I'm hooked mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Yeah, I've, I've been. East. I've gone to PAX West for. Many many years.
0: Oh, and that that was the thing that um, the thing that struck me about PAX East, and it sounds like this the, the convention you're talking about is designed, you know, to have this feeling for it. But I did not expect the feeling at PAX East to hit me so hard. But I, you know, we, both of us, like we grew up, you know, in a time period where, you know, you're the weird guy <laughs> if if you're yeah. Wrong stuff um for mm-hmm. you and i to have a conversation like this at lunch at high school you know what i mean when i was in high school it would be oh yeah look look the, the weird nerds are, are talking yeah. you know go 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 to your chess club after school you know but yeah you know what i found waiting in line to get into Paxis is i looked around and i said okay here's me and to the left of me is a whole bunch of people that are way into pokemon and, you know, and, and they're having, you know, their own little like, you know, click for the thing they love over here. But yep. they're accepted. No one is looking at them funny. No one is shitting on them. And over to the right of me, here's a bunch of like jockey looking guys <laughs> that are all in line and they've all got Fortnite stuff. You know what right. I mean? And I'm like, holy crap. And then in front of me here is a whole bunch of people in cosplay, you know, mm-hmm. and all of, and everybody's together. And I turned to, to my, to my wife and I just said, you know, all three of those groups are groups that when I was younger would have felt marginalized, would have felt shit on, would have felt not included, wouldn't have walked out in public looking like that.
1: You know mm-hmm. what I mean?
0: And now not only are they in public, but they're all together and with them, are parents of these people are uncles and aunts or people that might be just coming out of curiosity or people that, you know, have never met any fandom other than like, you know, Magic the Gathering their whole life right. or are only here because they want to see, you know, the new shooter that Sony's releasing. But mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to see. And, you know, granted, there's toxicity in any group, but the the air of it was acceptance yeah. And I couldn't believe that I felt that so hard because I didn't expect it. The last never having been to a con, the last you know, thing I remembered, you know, was going to a local comic shop and being brushed with a broom down into the basement to go play D&D because, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> even though you're at a comic shop, that's still weird. You, yeah, You know, and it's just like, I, I, don't, I don't know. And here it's just like, yeah, you know, and it, it, it's just a wonderful thing to see. And hearing there's a whole con that that's the point.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's about kind of paying it forward, because like you said, you, you know, you and I were, you know, we were the ones that got made fun of or, or were were the I guess you could call it, you know, we were in sort of an oppressed group because of you know our hobbies and our interests and being smart and all of that and now all of those things are mainstream and it's up to us you know but you you know these industries are are very mainstream but they're still very cis they're still very straight they're still very white and they're still very male and the things in and so it's up to you and me like people like you and me to try to help make room for other groups in those spaces, and to make sure that that women have a safe place to play games, and you know, trans folks and people of color and you know, queer people all have room to sh- like can all share in these awesome hobbies. And that's what OrcaCon is all about: is making making a space for everyone.
0: Now, is it is it something that you just go to, or are you involved?
1: Um, I am. I mostly just go to. I volunteer, so I'm one of the game hosts. So my my job when right, I go you're, is. You're involved. To, yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I guess I'm involved. Um, my my job while I'm here is to make sure that like find folks that need a that are looking for games and kind of pair them up with people who you know want to play things or to get people started a lot of times what i'll do is sit down and start to play a game with someone until another person shows up and then i can step off and 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 leave or i can teach somebody how to play a particular game if i know how it works um To kind of monitor, make sure that everybody is having a good time, make sure that everybody's boundaries are respected. One of the new things that we got this year is uh, we have a um, like interaction level buttons where everybody who wants one they can take these three different buttons, little pins and there's a green one that if you're wearing it it means, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable, I want to talk to everybody if you see me, come up and talk to me and there's I a yellow it. one that's There's a yellow one that's like, hey, I'm kind of, you know, if I know you, I might come talk to you, but sort of give me a little bit of space for the moment. And then there's a red button that is, I need space. Like, don't come up to me. I want to do my thing. I'm having a good time, and I want to be kind of by myself. And it it makes it really easy to just just at a glance – make sure that you're not invading somebody's boundaries or making other people uncomfortable and then like i said as a game host my job is to kind of make sure that those things are being respected
0: that's amazing does um does take this have a presence there
1: i no um we do we have kind of emulated some of the some of the take this groups like we have a we have a quiet room that is not it's it's kind of like their afk room where You know, you have, you know, if somebody needs to just go and they're like, oh, there's too many people here. There's a specific place where they can just go and, um, you know, and just be quiet and look on their phones or, you know, just rest and close their eyes. We have um, we have people who are, you know, if you if they need to re- if, if somebody needs to report something or needs help, but they're not comfortable approaching like me as a game host, we have somebody, we have a, a phone number that you can text somebody. And oh, so they're, cool. They're, yeah, there's somebody who's manning that number, who's ready to like help you. Or if you need, if, if you need something, they can find it for you or they can put you in touch with, a, with the right person. Um, or if you need to report something, like there's something like there's a spill on this, you know, this part, they can take care of that.
0: Well, this sounds like, uh, yeah, If I need to get out to the West Coast for so many reasons yeah absolutely this sounds like a big one
1: i got a spare bedroom
0: nice nice dude (laughs) no this sounds like a blast so um i've i've realized now because this conversation has been so great that we've been going for an hour and a half
1: (laughs) and i gotta go back to work
0: (laughs) <laughs> um so so i was gonna say uh, outside of plugging um OrcaCon, which sounds awesome is there anything you know that you, obviously you've got stuff that you do too this is your opportunity to tell the people about you and sure. it's been an absolute pleasure and um you know just like the episode that we did with scott um i i, I can't wait to have you guys on more and to interact with you guys more this is great
1: yeah, absolutely. Anytime uh, in terms of stuff that I would like to plug, I do have my own podcast called Recorded Tomorrow. It is still a, can't
0: get over how great that name is. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's it's pretty good. I, I can't take credit for that one, but it's a it's a good title. It's all about using time travel in fiction and rules and pitfalls and things to be aware of. Um, if you want to put integrate time travel into your you know into your stories. And uh, my co-host, Jonathan, and I will, you know, we spent the first year or so, it's a monthly podcast, we spent the first 10 to 12 episodes just breaking down here are the rules as we see them. And, you know, here are a couple of different ways you could do time travel, like um, if you're going to do something where the past can be changed these are some pitfalls these are some rules you need to take advantage of if you're doing things where the past can't be changed here are some things that you need to think of and how to how to work on that um we've pretty much covered all of the quote unquote lessons and now we're starting to take and do sort of deep dives into films and books and comics that have time travel and examine like okay what what rules do they have what do they um, you know, how do they follow these? Do they do a good job? Do they do a bad job? What can we learn from say, uh, you know, all you zombies or predestination or primer, which I need to have you on to talk about primer.
0: Yes. (laughs) Primering. You know what? You know what? Another one I'd love if you haven't covered it yet is deja vu.
1: No, we haven't.
0: Have you seen that one?
1: I have not. Tell me about it.
0: Oh, I'll give a quick because we should do an episode about it because I can't say if it does anything that doesn't break its own rules. So I'd love to go <laughs> on and like and like watch it again because it's been a while. But um, it's it's a Denzel Washington vehicle directed by the late, great Tony Scott. And wow. um, it's it's one of it's one of those times where, you know, when you know, a director is just having fun and mm-hmm. their actor is just having fun. So it's not It doesn't reach the heights of either of their greatness, but you can watch it. And it's like Spielberg in Jurassic Park, right? Where you're like, this is just a guy having fun, but he's so good at having fun, you know? And that's exactly what Deja Vu is. So without, without, Tony Scott's from New Orleans. And so he made it right after Katrina. So the movie is taking place in like the aftermath and they don't really it's not part of the story it's just there so it's like a character you know like the destruction okay. that was caused by that but sure. without going without going into too much i'll describe one sequence that um yeah, because the movie eventually does involve time travel but it also plays around with like your ability to see into another time and not just travel there so he's wearing like basically a precursor to an oculus uh, on his okay. head And driving in a car, having a car chase, but he is following someone from many years ago who's committing a crime, but he's now. So in one eye, he's got the thing flipped down so he can be following and looking from the window of his car where the car would have been three years ago. But through his other eye, he has to make his way through the traffic now. And he's getting himself mixed between like a car wreck happening then and thinking. And it's just such when you think about like the kinetic, like perpetual motion machine of an action sequence, Mm
1: -hmm, it just
0: builds. It's something like you would have expected to see like Chris Nolan do, you know, it's just like. It's just, it's such a well-oiled sequence and I can't remember much. I'm sure this is one movie we'll sit down and watch it and go, wow, like from the time travel standpoint, it kind of <laughs> just craps all over its own rules. I don't know. But that scene has just always, and I ended up loving the movie, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but that scene, like if you haven't seen it, it's worth it for that alone. It's just like, they're, they're having a chase that is taking place in two times at the same time. And it's, it's so cool.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out.
0: It's like the reverse of free crime, like for minority (laughs) report, right? Like, (laughs) and and I thought that was really cool.
1: I love it. I've added it to the list.
0: So yeah, that's, um, I, I, that's about all the time I have, but, um, Mm -hmm. again, I, uh, did you get to say everything you wanted to say? I don't want to like, I I hope I didn't cut off there. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I can always come
0: back. Of course. Well, well, Jesse, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad to find people that, you know, not only, you know, we get along because we're into the same stuff, but you went through a lot of the same good times and pain and suffering of the late nineties, early two thousands, crazy yeah. world of video and video game retail. <laughs> that again, looking back, it's great memories, right? But it was not mm-hmm. always fun
1: no, at all.
0: But I'm um, so to you, Jesse, th- thank you so much for being on to everyone listening. Thank you for making it a Talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening to it. Please be kind. Rewind. We'll talk to you later.